Hello, and welcome to the Highly Functional Female Podcast. I am your host, Arlene Scholten, chiropractor and mother of three. I am obsessed with all things to keep us physically and mentally strong, biohacking this aging thing and living sustainably. I interview amazing and inspiring women on health tips and biohacks. Ladies, we can do this. Life is a journey and let's enjoy it. Welcome. Uh, we have uh, Megan Lilburn here on the Highly Functioning Female podcast today. Uh, so I want to welcome you, Megan. Hi, Elaine. Hi, everyone who's listening. <laughs> so, uh, Megan, you've been a chiropractor for 12 years now, correct? And That's right. To university in Sydney. Correct. Uh, you have been practicing in the UK for the whole time? The whole time. I moved straight over here from Sydney to Manchester, which was a bit of a culture shock, but I loved it. Brilliant. So I met Megan, gosh, how many years ago was that? You did a locum for me and we've been great friends ever since actually, but that was, yeah. gosh, probably eight, nine years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't aged at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, to me and I go to conferences and everything together. So we are, when Megan is known as kind of the wellness warrior, so she lives and breathes it. Um, so what we're going to discuss today is really a challenge that you had with your health. Um, which is obviously very, very well known amongst the public, which is chronic fatigue syndrome. That's right. So as a chiropractor, obviously we look at things a little bit differently. So we look at things from a very functional, functional model. So I guess today we just want to dive in quite deep and just tell the audience, I guess, some of the challenges that you had with yep. um, how it kind of started. Because obviously you don't just wake up with chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, how you kind of discover that something wasn't right, that your body was not functioning at an optimal level. So you're still very young. Um, so there were no really other reasons for it to start to happen really, I guess in a lot of people, they just question why on earth do I feel so tired? Why does everything ache and everything else Mm. with it? So I guess, yeah, we really just want to help people understand exactly what is chronic fatigue syndrome. And I guess some of the, your top tips and how you discovered it and what you actually did to allow your body to heal. Because from what I gather and just talking to you, um, you feel pretty good now. Hey. Yeah. I mean, I still have things that I need to manage, but I'm, I'm like a different person in comparison to how I used to be. So yeah, there's, there's just some definite things that we can talk about to help people for sure. Um, I guess the first thing I want to say is that um, like chronic fatigue syndrome, it's, it's not very well researched. So what we're talking about today is, is my experience and key points for that. We, I will link a little bit of research at the bottom, but there's that to bear in mind. And the other thing I want to say is that I've never actually referred to myself as having chronic fatigue syndrome. Sometimes I think it's helpful to have a label, but I always have just said to myself, you know, I have some lifestyle habits that are unhealthy and some issues with fatigue and then work from there. Sometimes I think you can give yourself a label and feel like you're stuck with that when actually that's not the case at all. Absolutely. And I guess that's the labels that I've got three children. So obviously, you know, you know, you hear amongst, um, you know, parents and things that kids get labeled with something. And, uh, you know, once that label is there, it's very, very hard to dissociate the child or the person from this label. And it's almost something that you can almost use almost as an excuse sometimes. That's right. Very, very good. I think it's really helpful to use the label for your benefit and then also know that you can ditch it when the time is right. Absolutely. Cool. So when did you really, I mean, how many years ago did you, did you discover that something that you didn't feel very well? Um, it's a really weird situation because I didn't know that I felt so bad until I started feeling better. So in hindsight, it's very clear to me that I started getting chronic headaches when I was 10. 
Um, you know, by the time I was in my mid-teens, I had back pain, chronic headaches, I had acne and I had asthma. I knew when I was 16 that I was severely depressed. Um, and, you know, when I was 18, 19, I kind of had a moment of realisation where I thought, I'm taking two um, paracetamol to get to sleep every night and that's just not normal, you know, especially not for... I had this moment of realization, I'm like a young teenager, I should be blossoming into life and feeling awesome. And instead, I feel rubbish. Right. So yeah, I, I didn't really know until I started feeling better and then started looking back. But definitely at 10, 11 is when it started. Okay. And was there, um, did you, were your parents very, I guess, did they take a natural approach to, um, I guess, to this? Or was it, was it pretty much just medication? Or did they take you to a chiropractor or a naturopath or anything like that? No, um, my parents didn't really know because I didn't, we don't really have a high communication level in our family. And I just never knew that it was abnormal. So we were raised to really get on with things. We didn't have a high, you know, we weren't on lots of medication and stuff as kids, but we didn't have much self-care either, if that makes sense. Okay. But that was our background. You just, you just got on with it. Very outback Australia. <laughs> you've mentioned it before so at 19 then what did you do I guess you know taking paracetamol I mean for some people mm. that's kind of a normal thing to do I mean at 19 to have that kind of aha moment or a light bulb go off that thinks actually maybe I shouldn't be taking paracetamol maybe I should be actually feeling quite you know quite amazing and quite you know quite full of vitality really at 19 so what mm. was it that made you kind of turn a corner or kind of get self-realization really that you could do something else then well, I think actually it, it happened around 16 and I was away at boarding school and um, I just remember having this moment where I was sitting by a river and I just, everything was really grey and anyone who's been depressed will know that it's not that you feel bad, it's that you feel nothing. And I just had this moment, I was watching a sunset, I felt nothing and I thought this isn't a way to live. You either have to figure out how to crack on with this or, you know, the other option, which was never an option for me, thank God. So that's the moment at which I, I wanted to start making change. And I started doing that by reading self-help books. <laughs> at 19 already then? Uh, 16, 16. And they were bad at that point. Now I think they're hilarious. But I know I started the process. And then I kind of started to study chiropractic. I went to university when I was 17 and I kind of fell into it accidentally. Um, I've always been tactile. I'm very good at sciences. And I thought, I'm going to do this and try it and see how it goes. And I think that really got me thinking about what normal actually is. Right. And that's when I sort of hit 19. I had this moment where I thought, I don't want to be in pain anymore. You know? Yeah. Mm. So what were the first things that you then tried? Was it diet? Was it mindfulness or anything kind of mental? Or was it exercise? Or what was it? What were the first things that you started to introduce that made a difference? So the first thing I really started to do was really totally change my diet. And for me, that was the easiest thing. So I went from just your normal Australian diet, loads and loads of junk food and sugar, um, a very carb-based diet. And I switched to... Uh, a plant-based diet, but with meat, if you know what I mean. Yes. Okay. So, so the majority of my food is plant, but I have high quality meat as well. And that, you know, made a big difference straight away for me. Okay. Yeah. And there's plenty of research as well to show that, you know, how sugar affects your mood, it affects your hormones, it affects your metabolism. So that's a really clear link. 
I guess, I mean, one thing they're looking at, and you'll read the research too, is that a lot of these, um, even if it's not a disease process, I guess we call it dis-ease, really, I guess it's a very, mm. unless your body's becoming out of balance, but so many of these things are showing that the body's actually quite high in, like in inflammatory load. So I guess the yes. diet that you're describing is very low inflammatory or kind of almost a deflamed diet is how it's been um, kind of termed. Exactly. It's very anti-inflammatory. It's very nutrient dense. We're talking six to nine vegetables a day. And it's got a lot of healthy fat that's really essential for normal brain function and normal hormone function. Right, which is great, obviously, after listening to some of the stuff I've been listening to recently. Um, yeah. How would somebody, um, I mean, a lot of people are going into blood tests and things like that. So how would somebody's blood panel, is this, because it's like we mentioned, it's not a disease, is it? So it's not like if you've got a disease process, you get a blood mm. test back and you have a diagnosis. The chronic fatigue is not like that, is it? So people with chronic fatigue, um, there is no set pattern for a blood test. No. no. But that doesn't mean it's, it's not helpful to see if your thyroid hormones are okay, yeah. if you're anemic, if your B vitamins are low. Um, if your vitamin D is low, all those things can contribute to a state of lesser function, increased inflammation and increased pain. So at any point, my blood panels were actually normal apart from some severe anemia at some points. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it can be helpful. Time, that over time could cause a lot of other dysfunctions. I guess you, I mean, you're It will. Yeah. yeah. It, there's no doubt about it. It will. So you'd like, by all means, get your blood panel done. But if you're not taking your lifestyle habits into account and bringing them to a baseline normal your bloods are going to be abnormal anyway right does that make sense yeah, absolutely it's very <laughs> interesting because i mean it's so you know you'll see amongst your patients as well that you know some people have it and they they do like you said you know they 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 live with that label on them mm. um and when you talk about function it's almost like you know it's it's great because people actually get some hope because you know, how we live in our lifestyle has such a dramatic impact on how, you know, just how your body changes and actually improves in terms of function. Mm. Um, and I want to come to that point as well. Like there is, if your lifestyle habits aren't healthy and you're not doing those things that we have evolved to need to maintain health, there's no point giving yourself a label. You got to get to that point first and then give yourself a label. Do you know what I mean? That's absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting. I was listening to a webinar yesterday, which you were on too. And um, uh, the woman who was being interviewed, you know, she said, you know, you can't supplement yourself out of bad health. Um, and so a lot of these vitamins and supplements, they're great. Like, you know, if you said, uh, if your blood panel's low, you may need some iron, um, you yeah. may need fish oil, B vitamins, things like that. But if you don't change the underlying lifestyle habits, it's going to be very, very hard to, to see the, you know, the changes that we want to see as women, you know, well, vitality right. and energy and able to do all the all the things that we like to do as multitasking women <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah that's right the supplements should be a complement they should not be a replacement whatsoever yeah you mentioned one thing um yesterday when i was talking to you about this and you mentioned sleep being you know one of the most important things that you found can you just describe that um and explain why that's so important in terms of Kind of cortisol and stress hormones and things like that yeah so sleep um and i would also equate sleep to rest yeah rest is one of the most important things that we need uh just to be healthy and and people who have chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia need extra rest 
um, the research is really clear that people who don't sleep enough or have high quality sleep are prone to depression, they're prone to accidents, they're prone to metabolic disease like diabetes and cancer, and they're also prone to higher states of inflammation, which will increase your pain as well. So it's absolutely crucial to prioritize rest. Yeah. And by rest, I mean going to bed at a good time. It might mean for people like us to actually get eight to 10 hours of sleep a day. Right. And, it, and it also for people with chronic fatigue, I think we should be scheduling in naps, naps during the day because it's not just about going to sleep. It's about getting your body horizontal, getting gravity off your body and giving it an opportunity to rest. Yeah. Mm. I, know, I used to think running was kind of my meditation, but it's not really. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you live and you learn really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the thing about sleep is that everyone is different and you sort of have this media bias that seven hours is enough. And I would strongly suggest that for women being pregnant, menstruating, the, ex the, you know, the extra stresses that come with working in childcare, that even eight isn't enough for us. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing. We all are different, isn't it? It's not a good that's right. right. And, you know, somebody who has developed chronic fatigue um, versus somebody else, I guess the underlying root causes or triggers for those two things may be very very different so one may be nutrition or deficiency in you know nutrition and one may be just a chronic override of stress for example mm -hmm. so i guess mm -hmm. we approach it in a very very different different way um yeah. i guess right now we're kind of in the midst of covid um yeah. i guess the time that most people turn the news on is kind of nine ten at night isn't it so um i mean i have just been following kind of news updates during the day yeah, um, what I need to really in terms of opening the practice and just for safety for everyone. Um, mm. But I have actually not watched the news at all. Um, and I think that's when you understand the function of the body, you know, if you're going to watch the news um, at, you know, seven, you know, 10 at night, and then you're going to crawl into bed, your cortisol levels are very, very high. Um, and I guess at night, even after six is when our cortisol levels should be starting to calm down. So we can actually yep. have that restful sleep. So that's so true. Like yes to people <laughs> during COVID. Oh, during coronavirus, um, I'm I'm with you. Don't watch the news. It's it's highly biased and highly inflammatory. The main goal of the news is to get more watches right, and they do that by by stressing people out. So I get my data from the government website, and I might check once or twice a day because I do really care and want to know what's going on, but I don't want to enter that state of high stress. Yeah. You. Most people already know exactly what's going on. It would make no difference to them if they check the news once a day or once a week. Yeah. Um, and like, if you're going to check it, check it early in the morning and go for a run, run after to burn off the cortisol. <laughs> Don't check it at night, up your cortisol, and then suppress all the other hormones, starting with melatonin, which will mess up your sleep. Yeah. And that goes with any other stressful scenario. We have to choose when we're going to engage with that stress. We have to choose the time of day at which we get stressed. And then we have to choose a time of which day which we're going to wind down and head for bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was saying with a 15 year old. You know, like, no, try to keep the screen off for at least an hour, which is very hard with a 15 year old because um, that's when her friends are all online. And especially during COVID, you want them to socialize. And that's the only ways they can. But it's really hard mm -hmm. to put that blue light and all the information kind of coming at you. Um, I mean, sleep is a whole nother podcast, isn't it? But I think one of the important things to remember about going to sleep at night is that 
blue light is going to stimulate your brain and stop you from producing sleep hormones. Yeah. So we want to have the blue light and bright lights gone at least two hours before bed. Yeah. And you want to have the kind of light that mimics dusk, dusk, which is pink and orange light or no light at all. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, dark, dark room, right? Dark room, cold room. Yeah. Uh, cuddles, no stress. <laughs> yes. Um, any other top tips before we wrap up, Megan? Yeah, I would say that... Um, probably two top tips. Okay. One is that I love exercising and, um, you know, I've exercised my whole life. And one thing that's been really hard for me with um, excessive fatigue is managing how and when to exercise and how hard to go okay. because exercise does increase your stress hormones okay. um, and lower your state of healing. So for some people who are very, very, very fatigued, the absolute worst thing that you can do is go out and have a really intense workout. You need like to start gently. Yeah. Yeah. Need to start gently, work your way up to it. On days where you feel that you're on a good roll and you have more energy, increase the intensity and then see how you go for the few days after. On days where you know that you are stressed, you haven't been as good or you're, you are fatigued, go for the lighter exercise. We have to choose how to do it properly. And of course, the other thing um, that a lot of um, people who have chronic fatigue have had an emotional trauma in their life yeah. or they've had consistent emotional stress in their childhood that set them up uh, to then have high inflammatory states. And you have to deal with that. That's probably the last and the hardest hurdle to deal with. Yeah. Um, and you can do that via counselling, mindfulness, yoga. The NHS has a fabulous leaflet that just talks about um, purpose, connection, exercise rest and food right. and just having a, that real sense of purpose that your life means something and that you're doing something worthwhile and also making sure that you have social connection every single day they are they are crucial for for being healthy but especially if there is an emotional overlay to what's going on well that's been brilliant megan i just want to thank thank you so much for all your time and i hope everyone has enjoyed that podcast with megan milburn um how can we find you heart chiropractic in Hot Chiropractic in Brighton. I'm always happy to help, even if we can't see you physically. You can join us, social media, email me, whatever you like. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Megan. We'll definitely have you on and again, and we will talk about sleep. <laughs> awesome. Let's do it. Oh, it's a big one. It'll be a fun one. <laughs>